Welcome to Oscar Sunday. I'm Austin Johnson. I'm Connor Izagari. And today we're going to be talking about Jurassic Park, one of our favorite 90s films. It was nominated for three Oscars at the 66th Academy Awards. It won all three. Best Sound, Best Sound Effects Editing, and Best Visual Effects. Uh, the new film is out now, Dominion. Uh, so go check that out if you can. I know you literally just got out of it. So what do you think? I liked it. I know a lot of critics across the world are condemning this for being like bloated for being aimless. And I'm like, it is the sixth dinosaur centric adventure movie. What were you expecting? Like <laughs> as we talked, Caleb and I talked about it in our beyond the bed on Jurassic park three, nothing's going to live up to Jurassic park. It's such a great, perfect movie. So all of these follow-ups can do is try to be the best Jurassic park sequel. And I think dominion succeeded. I enjoyed it. I gave it an eight. There it is. I like that. Good, good to hear. Like, you know, um, these movies, yeah, like there's a reason Jurassic Park is so special because it goes above and beyond the first one. From there on out, they're just fun. They're just supposed to be fun movies about dinos. And that's, that's why the first one is, is what it is because it's a really good story, really engaging performances and, you know, has some of the most, you know, advanced special effects and animatronics of all time. So yeah. uh, that's kind of, that's kind of why we're, we're, we're bringing it here to, to Oscar Sunday. Oh, we've covered this film on film guys. I believe uh, you and Caleb, uh, not that long ago, but <laughs> yeah. I, uh, I, I've never been able to really talk about it on a show and it, I, I'm with both of you and Caleb. It's a 10 out of 10 type movie that I just adore. The way I see it, there are certain films that, if we have the opportunity to overlap them on these shows, I think we should take them because that means it's a very special movie. It's we can talk about the same movie with a completely different vibe. I think that's worth going above and beyond. I think it's worth sparing no expense. <laughs> well said, Mr. Hammond. Uh, yeah, I, I, I agree with you. I think, I think it's great. If you could just, just for the listeners, if you could, uh, cause I haven't seen the new one. Give us a quick ranking of all of them. Obviously, Jurassic Park's number one. What's kind of like, what are your favorites after that? Okay. Uh, part two. All right. Number one, Jurassic Park. Number two, probably The Lost World. I, I do okay. like that movie. I know a lot of people don't, but I, I think it's cool. Uh, then we've got Jurassic World, which I thought it has grown on me at first. I was like, this is all right. A little corporate, but that's the point. Uh, then, then it's Dominion. Okay. I, I, there are some things about this movie I really liked. Uh, then it's Fallen Kingdom, and then nobody likes Jurassic Park 3. I like Jurassic Park 3. <laughs> uh, because, it, not because it's good. Because it's the first movie I watched with Willow in my hands at the hospital. Uh, and it was just like, oh, this movie sucks, but this is great. And, I, and it's, it's one of those crazy movies where it's like, the, uh, it's so obvious they had no idea where they were going, you know, uh, while the movie's happening. Yeah. And William H. William H. Macy is like so off his rocker in that movie. I, I have like a, it has like a special place in my heart. I know it's bad, but <laughs> I kind of love it. I thought you were going to say specifically because William H. Macy. I'm like, oh, of course. But yeah, <laughs> it's, uh, it's not terrible. It's just clearly... They, like as we covered in Beyond the Bad, there was no script going in. Nobody knew what the hell they were doing. The CGI looks pretty weak. They killed the T Rex within five minutes. Like, th there's a lot that movie has going against it. But I don't think any of the Jurassic Park movies are bad. 
Mm. Yeah. Yeah. They're, they're all, I always have fun. I always have fun. And that's kind of the goal with watching movies, right? It's to be entertained, have fun. Sometimes it's to learn. Sometimes it's to expand your horizons, but most of all, you want to have some fun and take, take something away from it. Uh, yeah. But Jurassic Park, it's not even really like a, the other movies are in a category outside of Jurassic Park. This movie, this movie is very special. It was, uh, you know, Steven Spielberg, obviously one of his best movies, I'd say probably my second favorite or third. I don't know. I really, really, you know, I love Jaws. That's my favorite for sure. But I, I also love Raiders of the Lost Ark. Um, and then I think, I think Jurassic Park, that's my top three in some order. Uh, he, he just outdoes himself again, you know, like over and over throughout the seventies, eighties and nineties. Uh, E.T. in 1982 was the highest grossing film for nearly 10 years. And then Jurassic Park came along, became the highest grossing film for five years until Titanic came out in 1997. And, you know, now, you know, of course, Avatar passed that. And then Marvel was like, hold my beer and did it. You know, they've done that over and over where they pass their own work. And Endgame is now at the top of, you know, top of the food chain. What is now? Avatar was re-released in China. Uh, I don't it, count it, that. I don't count that. Crown, it took the crown back. I'm sorry. I don't, I don't count that. <laughs> Because because Endgame did it, you know, within an actual real calendar. <laughs> I, it's bullshit. It's some it's some some shady yeah. petty bullshit. But yeah, it's, it's the chart. I can't argue with the chart. I can't. <laughs> <laughs> I'll argue with James Cameron all fucking day if I can. Uh, <laughs> God damn it, that movie. Uh, I just do not like Avatar. It's not. It's not one I I, I ever really want to do on this show. Uh, I'm not looking forward to two, three, and four of, you know, the sequels with, with that, with that world, just not my place. But um, what is my place and what I think is yours as well is a lot of movies that kind of revolve around these categories, best sound, best sound effects, editing, best visual effects, movies that are technically savvy and have a lot to give you as a viewer, especially when you see it on the big screen, which is why these Jurassic you know, park and world movies are so much fun because they look amazing. They sound amazing. And that's always great. So of those three categories, I thought it'd be cool to hone in on visual effects. Uh, this category is very fascinating because at the first Oscars ever, uh, it's in, the first Oscars were in 1929, and it was called, this category was called Best Engineering Effects. Because, you know, movies were quite a bit different, you know, at that time. And Wings won that award. Uh, Wings also won Best Picture. So, you know, it was, it was kind of like the, the movie of that, that ceremony. And then after that, they moved on to the simply the special effects award uh, in 1938. So there's about a 10 year gap where they don't really know what to do with this category. They're kind of, you know, confused on how do we properly, you know, spotlight films like this that are like trying to, to drive something other than just story and uh, performances and writing, you know, they're doing something different cinematically. So in 1938, a movie called Spawn of the North won the very first special effects award. Not seen that movie, but I'm, I'm definitely interested in it. I was reading about it. It seems like it's, you know, one of those, one of those films that just is kind of like an outlier for its time. And then all the way until 1963, there's the special effects award from there to 1963. And then they change it to visual effects, which is kind of what we're going to be talking about. And so I asked you, Connor, from 1963 to now, all the way from Cleopatra to Dune, what are your five favorite visual effects winners from the Oscars? 
And that doesn't really mean your five for movies within that, you know, basically a 60 year frame. Cause there's a lot, I mean, there's some amazing films here. And if I were picking my five favorite, it would probably look a lot different than my list that I have here. But I, I asked you and I asked myself to look in the mirror <laughs> and figure out what moves you visually from these movies and why, you know, and what, what is it about them? So we've both prepared a top five visual effects winners from the Oscars. I'm excited to kind of go through these as you go through yours, I'll name what movies it beat, what year, you know, and all that kind of jazz. But I'm very curious to see what you have because there's, we both have a lot of personal favorites from this category that have won. And, you know, I'll, I'll be the first to say that I, I appreciate this category more than the next guy. I think it's a really important one. There's movies like Poltergeist that have been nominated for this, you know, movies that Ghostbusters was nominated, Predator, Die Hard, you know, Back to the Future Part 2. Some movies that are amazing. I'm trying to name no winners so I don't step on anybody's toes. There's some, there's some amazing movies in, these, in this category, and I, I think it's good to spotlight it, especially with a movie like Jurassic Park where it's really ahead of its time in that, in that category. So I'll let you kind of, you know, take the floor, talk about visual effects a bit if you want, and start with your number five. Okay. Um, I do want to address something real quick. Uh, yeah, of course. Star Wars is not in my top five. Okay. And the reason it's not in my top five, I have never seen the version of Star Wars that won that award. Okay. I have only seen the George Lucas redone, super epic, you know, modernized Star Wars, not the 1977 original cut that won this award. So I have no idea if the visual effects of Star Wars hold up. So I didn't want to be biased. I cut that out of my consideration and I have five films that aren't Star Wars. Okay. Well, obviously it's not mine because I just kind of Yeah, you just don't like Star Wars. <laughs> I just kind of skimmed across it. No, Star Wars is, you know, is a is a total game changer. I just I haven't really gotten close with it or mm-hmm. seen it seen it enough times to be like, oh, this is why I appreciate it as a fan. Well, Star Wars Empire and Jedi all won this award, but yes. they've been revamped to hell to the point where they're kind of unrecognizable from their original version. So I don't I don't know. I doubt yeah. I'll ever know. Those versions are almost lost to time now. They're in a vault somewhere. So who knows? Uh, my number five is 1996's Independence Day. Ooh, okay. Very nice. <laughs> this, Despite the uh, kind of, you know, Will Smith blockade everyone's kind of taken lately, uh, I still plan on watching this on July 4th. I do it every year. <laughs> <laughs> I think the visual effects in this movie are absolutely stunning. The the ships, the design of the interior of the mothership, the city destruction, the dogfights. Holy shit, does this hold up? They look amazing now, and it's because they use mostly practical effects. A lot that's going to be a theme going throughout my my five is practicality over CGI. I very much value that, except for a mm-hmm. couple of these where I'm like, that's good CGI. <laughs> yeah, that looks dope. <laughs> but um, yeah, Independence Day is a classic of sci-fi action. It's so fun. And I still think it looks amazing. So longevity is a big thing for me. Like, does it still look good now? For sure. For sure. I think that's the most important. And you can look through some of these movies, especially in the, you know, 70s, 80s, 90s, where they had to use certain practicality. And um, what, one movie that I can't believe didn't win this award would be uh, The Thing. Oh, I got not even, didn't even, it wasn't up for it. Yeah, it wasn't even up. I mean, E.T. won that year. Yeah, good, yeah. And a lot, uh, beat, beat Blade Runner and Poltergeist. But the thing is, like, 
so revolutionary and totally deserves to be on our list. I think <laughs> if we, if we could do any, any movies, you know, um, as far as, as far as uh, visual effects and what they're using with, with that monster. Um, I like knowing, I like knowing that one day down the road, we could do poltergeist on here. Oh yeah. Yeah. I would love to do poltergeist on this show. Uh, love that movie. And yeah, Blade Runner and E.T. and Poltergeist is a really cool group of movies uh, to kind of talk about from that year. So, okay. Independence Day. I wasn't expecting that. I know you're a fan and um, I haven't seen it in, in quite some time. So maybe I'll give it another whirl uh, on, Indep- on uh, <laughs> Independence Day on July 4th. <laughs> uh, it beat Dragonheart and Twister. And I'd say, yeah, I'd say, yeah, it, it, it should have won. <laughs> I haven't seen either of those films. I've seen some clips from Dragonheart, and I'm like, this doesn't look that great. This looks like a screen. Nah. <laughs> yeah, Twister's cool. Twister's got some cool shit going on, but yeah, Dragonheart, not really my my cup of tea there. Uh, <laughs> uh, I I went mostly practical. I got a couple of a couple of movies there. I'm just like that. Just looks fucking cool as shit. Computers are amazing. Uh, and my first one would be one where I I believe that to be true. It's uh, Blade Runner 2049 from 2017. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is the newest movie I have on my list for sure. Uh, I, I love this one. It was kind of down to Blade Runner or Dune for me uh, to, for this fifth spot. Uh, Dune looks absolutely ridiculous, and I can't believe that we can do that as human beings. We can make something look that amazing. But uh, for me, Blade Runner 2049, seeing that in theaters was a, was just like a spiritual experiment uh, experience almost. Uh, I, I love the film itself, but I mostly love what they did to the cities, you know, that, that were, that were going through the, the kind of, uh, you know, alleyways and streets that, that Ryan Gosling is walking through, uh, just look fucking unbelievable. And, um, you know, I like Ana de Armas, the way she's kind of got this weird, you know, weird thing going on where, where, where it's, it's, it's quite literally nothing I've ever seen in my life. And, I think Denis Villeneuve, obviously, as a director, is someone who likes to press press that envelope. But uh, the guys that are in charge of, of visual effects for that movie are John Nelson, Gerd Nefzer, Paul Lambert, and Richard Hoover. Uh, and they, they won. They beat Guardians of the Galaxy 2, Kong Skull Island, which I think looks fucking awesome, Star Wars The Last Jedi, and War for the Planet of the Apes. That's a badass group oh. of movies. Uh, those movies. Those movies all look so fucking cool. I don't love The Last Jedi, but I like the other movies. And they all just, they just show how far we've come and what we can, just what we're capable of when it comes to CGI and uh, good acting, good storytelling. So yeah, I love Blade Runner. I can't believe it's also Deacon's first, you know, first, first, first win from for cinematography. And I think that goes hand in hand with what these guys are doing with the visual effects of just, just kind of the, the illusion that Blade Runner is, uh, especially 2049. I'm not a huge, huge fan of the first one, but I really, really liked the new one. It's uh, I'm not, I've never been a in the Blade Runner camp. I've I've seen both films. The new one is visually stunning. I I get it. Uh, for me, I think the scene that won the award was probably the uh, the brief de-aged scene of Sean Young. Mm. Uh, that looked incredible. However, War for the Planet of the Apes was yeah. robbed. The movie looks so badass. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I've, I had a feeling this was going to pop up. Yeah, it's, it's, the, it's the newest one I have. I, I, um, I'm kind of all over the board here, but 
Um, you know, there, there's some movies that I had to cut out that God damn, I love, you know, movies that we've even talked about on this show. So this, yeah, this is, this is a tough, this is probably the toughest list I've made this one in the, um, uh, a score, the score winners that we did. Uh, I believe that was on our wizard of Oz yeah. uh, episode. Like that was so difficult and it really, it really challenges you to, you know, not just pick like your favorites, but your favorite effort from that category. And so like Blade Runner 2049 is probably not even one of my 10 favorite movies that are represented here, but on visual effects front, I just can't deny uh, how, how much it blew me away. Yeah, I get it. I get it, man. Uh, I had the same difficulty. Uh, I was actually surprised to see how many of my favorite movies won this award. I was like, shit, what do I, where do I draw the line here? Yeah, yeah. And I had I really had to convince myself like you're not talking about the movie, you're talking about the visual effects. So don't even think like that. <laughs> and my number four is Pirates of the Caribbean, Dead Man's Chest. Oh, I almost had this. This movie has some of the most impeccable, ageless CGI I have ever seen. I don't know what was going on in that movie, but Davy Jones still looks amazing. You know, all this time, what what 16 years later? Yeah. Yeah, unreal. There are movies that came out last year that look dated. Yeah. But to have that kind of longevity on it and to make a fully CGI character like that, whose menace and you know charm and wit all come out of Bill Nye's performance, but the CGI is crucial to making Davy Jones work as a character. And they pulled it off like amazingly. Everything about him looks and feels real. And then of course you've also got like the epic scenes with the Kraken. And you know the fish people. It's it it looks amazing still to this day, and I, I'm continuously impressed by that every time I watch this movie. Mm, great pick. This is awesome. This movie beat beat Poseidon and Superman Returns. Yeah, like hands down. Oh, Dead those, fuck both those movies. They yeah, both suck. Those, <laughs> yeah, that's just like not even close. Um, Dead Man's Chest, man. I know. I know. Curse of the Black Pearl is great. It's the first one, but I've always thought Dead Man's Chest is like maybe better. <laughs> it's, it's so damn good. And Davy Jones is, is a big reason why, how cool he looks, uh, how, how frightening some of those, those, you know, crew members are on his ship on the Flying Dutchman. Like, fuck me, man. I, I love that movie. Just his introduction from, you know, uh, fish people swarming in, killing, like grabbing the survivors, the Hans Zimmer score as the captain comes aboard the ship and you're just like oh shit <laughs> and he just has this air of like do not fuck with this guy this is the god of the ocean right here and oh my god yeah dead man's chest and that world's end i always watch those two back to back if i'm gonna watch dead man's chest i immediately am like well i might as well finish off the story here it's, yeah how, how do you not yeah i love going into into that world uh also parts of the caribbean one of the best quotes from jurassic park is when Jeff Goldblum's like, well, at Disneyland, if you go on the Pirates of the Caribbean ride, <laughs> the attractions don't try to kill you. <laughs> like, oh, it's so good. Such a brilliant, brilliant bit. Because I've been to Disneyland and I've been on, on that fucking Disney World, that, that uh, fucking ride, the Pirates of the Caribbean ride. And it's fun and all, but it's not like the movies. Uh, that's a great pick. I, this would be, this is right outside my, my five. I, I wrote that one down initially. And then I kind of thought about it more and I was like, man, this, this is just hard. I feel like my list would be different if you asked me tomorrow, you know, I know this is the, yeah. this is, this is kind of what we're dealing with. Um, 
John Knoll, Hal Hickle, Charles Gibson, and Alan Hall. Shout out to those guys. They they all got an Oscar uh, for visual effects for Parts of the Caribbean, Dead Man's Chest. Pretty cool that all four of those guys get to walk away with you know some gold. It's pretty neat. I do like that. <laughs> I, I wish the entire team would get Oscars, but that's just not feasible. Yeah, yeah, they can only have you know three or four guys go up there. <laughs> uh, all right, I, I like that. I like I like where this is going. Independence Day and Dead Man's Chest, and I've got Blade Runner twenty forty nine. My number four is uh, a movie I feel like I haven't been able to, to to shed some light on very much on this show. Uh, not really sure why, but Life of, Life of Pi is my number four um, yeah. from two, from two thousand twelve. Uh, I think I think a lot of the the visual stuff gets overshadowed by that they, they use real animals uh, in this movie, but there's also very much a CGI in play. My favorite thing about Life of Pies is, is not so much the animals, but it's how they captured um, our main character, Pie, in, in the boat. And so what they did with this, uh, I watched this little documentary on YouTube. Uh, this is a long time ago. I, I've read the book by Jan Martel, and I'm, a, I'm really into that movie. I remember seeing it in theaters, and I've just been into it for the past. It's 10 years old now, which is crazy. It still looks amazing. Uh, what they did to capture the moments, because we're in the boat a lot with Pi, right? With these, with these different animals. And slowly but surely it becomes him and the tiger, right? Him, him and Benjamin Paca. And what they did to get that, that boat is they had a giant tank that they built that was at like an abandoned building, essentially. And there's 1.7 million gallons of water that they use. So there's, you know, it's, it's essentially like an arena of water, like, like the Truman show almost. (laughs) And and, and that's how they did it. And the cinematographer was like, he was like, I want to build a, a, a skylight essentially uh, to allow natural light to come in. So that it looks like the sun's actually coming down on us, you know, Uh, like, he's like, we need that for the movie. And so that's what Ang Lee was like, okay, let's do it. And the lengths that they went to to make sure that this movie looks the way it does is fucking nuts. Like it took years. So Ang Ang Lee is like, okay, well, I need this money. I need, I need over hundred million for the budget to, you know, make, make this, you know, I got to have at some points I have to have a real, you know, tiger. I have to have a CGI tiger at times. You know, this is, this is the way it's going to go. And it's a giant fucking Bengal tiger. And he's like, I also want it to be, you know, something that's going to capture the, the philosophical, the philosophical side of the book and that these animals represent different human beings or, or vice versa. Sometimes you just have to read the book or, or watch the movie to kind of take your, have your own take on it. But the fact that they built this tank, man, to, to make this, this happen, the water scenes in the boat with, with Pi and, and Richard. And I I'm obsessed. I'm obsessed with that, that aspect of it, that they built this arena essentially of water and I'm sure more movies that I realize do that, do that kind of stuff. But when I was reading about Life of Pi, the lengths that Aang and the team were willing to go to to make this thing possible, uh, it, was, it was really cool and really inspiring. It made me like, I would love to work on that, like build, build this, you know, giant water fat that they're going to have this little raft on and, you know, have real animals on it with the actors. Uh, it's just really cool. And I think it looks beautiful outside of that stuff, too. There's some scenes at night where the sky, the night sky is reflecting on the water and it looks, it looks crazy. It looks like an acid trip. It's fucking nuts. I can't believe that they, they were able to accomplish all of that 10 years ago. Uh, Ang Lee won best director for the movie. And, you know, it was up for best picture. It won like four or five awards. 
it's a really, really good movie. Um, really good book as well. And it's always been kind of dear to my heart. So when we were doing this, you know, when, when we were both kind of like coming up with the idea to do this list, I immediately was like, Oh, I might, I might be able to talk about life of Pi for a minute. I love that movie. I, I kind of wish it would have won, wish it would, wish it would have won best picture, you know, um, not a huge fan of Argo and Ang Lee won best director, Ben Affleck, not even up for, you know, not even, you know, Argo, sorry. You know, <laughs> it's just, it's just not as good of a movie overall, uh, in my opinion. So, uh, but 2012, that's a tough year. Yeah, I agree. Life of Pi is a visual spectacle. Um, I didn't know that it was like partly a real tiger, partly a CGI tiger. I didn't know that. Yeah, because when he's like, when the tiger's attacking, they had to use CGI because it's like, well, yeah. 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 <laughs> it's a 400, it's a 450 pound Bengal tiger. Like, uh, you know, you have nope. to. No studio is going to ensure that shit. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that's, that's wild. I remember I was supposed to read that book and I didn't. It was, it's, I, it's great. You my sophomore it. year of the summer, I was supposed to read Life of Pi, um, Alas Babylon, and the autobiography of Benjamin Franklin. And it was the summer and I don't work. So I don't do schoolwork during the summer. I don't care what the hell. So I was like, nah. And I just, no, nothing ever came of it. Nobody ever asked me for a report or anything. Just life just went on. I was actually kind of pissed. I was like, so if I had done the work, it would have been meaningless. <laughs> uh, you're, you're saying there's no point. That's yeah, great. But I'm glad you read it. <laughs> yeah, I read it. I read it on the way to um, a flight from here when I, I was going to somewhere in Europe. I can't remember. I was young. I was like, I was like, 15 or 16. And so I, you know, it's like a nine hour flight. So I just knocked it out during that flight. And I was like, no, this book's fucking cool. And, you know, saw the movie was equally blown away by what they were able to do translating that story. Cause it's not, not easy. And yeah. Ang Lee's the man. Ang Lee is just, just one of the best. I love how that movie kind of makes you or the whole story really, I'm assuming it was faithful to the book. Yeah, it is pretty faithful. Yeah, it is the whole idea of like, did he have this fantastical experience or was that a massive coping device for the horrific tragedy he witnessed? And yeah. you kind of have to make up your own decision on that. I, I love that. I thought that was really cool. I'd love to do life of Pi on the show in the near future. If you, if you want. <laughs> oh yeah. I would, I would love to I think it's great. Um, it beat the Hobbit on unexpected journey. Mm. Marvel's the Avengers Prometheus and snow white and the huntsman. Oh. Um, the yeah weird weird group yeah that is an odd group yeah a couple, couple forgettable ones there yeah yeah snow white and the huntsman we might be the first people to mention that movie in like what 10 years a, de- a decade yeah yeah <laughs> like the fact that we could do snow white and the huntsman on this show is like no yeah, there's so <laughs> few movies that overlap oscar sunday and beyond the bad that is that is one of them yeah suicide squad would be one of them uh 2016 yeah yeah good stuff uh i don't know how to say all these guys names but i'm gonna give it a go bill west westenholfer guillaume rocheron eric jan john boer and donald elliott i can do that last one <laughs> yeah, you killed Elliot. it on donald elliott good job yeah donald elliott great pronunciation yeah those guys uh they, they all won for life of pie and hats off to them i definitely think it's well deserved and this is, I, I am now done with the 2010s for my list. I'm going backwards from here on out. So, uh, but those two have, uh, you know, Blade Runner, Life of Pi just greatly affected me. And they're, they're very much theater experiences that I'll 
kind of always hold in my heart. Nice. That's nice. I, that definitely can influence your opinion of a movie. It, it happens to me all the time. Oh, yeah. When I was 14 and I saw Avatar, I was like, this is one of the greatest movies I've ever seen. And then two years later, I watched it at home. I was like, this doesn't hold up. <laughs> this does not hold up. This is Pocahontas. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to the second one just because I want to see, do people still care? Like, is Cameron going to win this one? Or is everyone going to be like, no, we moved on a long time ago. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know, man. I'm, I, I am curious, but I definitely will not be like racing to the theater to see it. If I have time, Maybe. I love that I get to say that again. <laughs> yeah. Because yeah. I, I would have been there opening night like, here I am. Burn <laughs> the fuck out. Like, just give me the ticket. Yeah. Here's your $13.48, you bastard. <laughs> uh, my, my top three are constantly shifting. Uh, oh, all same. three are hard tens that I have loved my whole life and same <laughs> are also mind-blowingly important to special effects in film. So take it with a grain of salt. This is what I'm feeling today. Tomorrow, it could be completely different, but this is what it mm. is today. Number three is Terminator 2, Judgment Day. I figured that was coming. Yeah. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Maybe the greatest sci-fi sequel of all time. Um, Probably, yeah. A perfect follow-up an awesome movie and some of the most groundbreaking special effects of all time the t-1000 cameron wanted to make terminator 2 in the 80s but technology hadn't caught up with him he had to wait until somebody could develop the realistic cgi to make the t-1000 look real and he held off till 91 when they had it and they made it and what do you know <laughs> terminator 2 i love that he was that patient he's like well not yet <laughs> let's wait till we get it right not a lot of directors have that kind of patience. Uh, and it's, Cameron, so cool. it's kind of blown up in his face now, but <clears> back <throat> then I appreciate him having the patience. And yeah, <laughs> the, T- the T-1000 still looks incredible. I, I am amazed at how well that has aged. Yeah. Yeah. What a movie. Uh, we've, we've talked about this recently on episode 100. T2 comes up a lot. Yeah. It, just, it does that. It, it's better than the first one. And so it's definitely the best sequel. Uh, maybe not just sci-fi. Maybe one of the best sequels just period. Uh, have to have to really look at that, really kind of figure out what the rules are of like straight up sequel. But it, it, yeah, T2 is, is spectacular. Uh, it beat Backdraft and Hook. What a crazy group. Uh, and <clears throat> here's a fun fact. Dennis Murin, who's kind of the head of visual effects for T2, has won eight of these bad boys. Eight. He's by far, he's got the most. The next up is Gordon Jennings and Ken Ralston, both with five. Eight, he's the top dog, you know. He's, he's the Walt Disney of, of visual effects. Uh, and that's, that's eight awards from 1963 to now. You know, that's, that's a damn good batting average. And I don't want to name them all because I don't want to, again, step on these because he, he has worked on some straight-up classics, including T2. Uh, so, yeah, this is a great pick. I figured it'd be coming at some point because I know you, you adore it. Um, it's, yeah, it's a movie we've got to put on this show at some point. Just, I, I just don't know how to do that. Should we do Terminator on, like, we, do like a Terminator week at some point? Just for we, the tot- we totally could. T1 on Filmgasm, T2 on Oscar Sunday, and like Genesis on Beyond the Bad. That would be a yeah. kick-ass week. 
that would be that would be a lot of fun. I would have a blast with that. So yeah, maybe maybe we'll try to like work that out. Maybe on like a week where there's not much going on, we're just kind of like fucking around. Um, we'll 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 be able to do that. That'd be great. That would be fun. All right, so here we go. Yeah, this is my top three are also ten like tens that I just love that I also find to be totally groundbreaking. Uh, so my number three is The Matrix from 1999. Uh, <laughs> this is one of those that just looks fucking cool. <laughs> like this, it's one of those uh, like popcorny experiences where you watch it and you're just kind of like, I have no idea how that works, but I'm in. <laughs> I'm totally in <laughs> all the green numbers flying down. I'm, to, I'm, I'm, I'm down with it. It's, it's totally fine. Uh, and, and I wanted to have one of those on my list where I, I feel like I have no idea how they do these things. The, the work that goes into it to combine, you know, fucking the crazy shit that Keanu Reeves and Lawrence Fishburne are doing uh, as far as, you know, like martial arts with special effects and visual effects and CGI in 1999, you know, <laughs> this, this movie looks better than all of its sequels. And that's, that's, that's crazy. That's fucking nuts for it to just kind of be a trendsetter. Uh, and I've said before that I think movies have tried to copy what this is going for plot wise and look wise for the past 20 years, they've been trying to emulate it. It's not, it's not happening. This is one of the, you know, tent poles of a movie looking fucking cool. And uh, I, I adore it. It beats Star Wars Episode One, The Phantom Menace, and Stuart Little. I mean, come on, no chance. This is easy money. <laughs> Stuart Little, okay. Uh, John Gata, Yannick Sirs, Steve Courtley, and John Thumb. Those are the guys who won the gold for the Matrix, and I knew I had to have it on here. It was one of those that I immediately was like, okay, that's a visual effects winner. That's on my brain. Uh, the Matrix has been brought up so many times on this show. And we will keep bringing it up. No, real quick. I, whenever I watch Stuart Little, I always feel bad for the other kids at the orphanage when the parents choose a fucking mouse over them. Yeah. Like, yeah. But uh, it's a weird movie. Um, it's, it's very weird. Like, what, what is up with 90s and 2000s kids movies? Like, like uh, the Country Bears is so fucking weird. There's these giant bears that are just these country stars and people are just okay with it. <laughs> they're okay with, they're okay with a giant, like two ton bear playing the fiddle. <laughs> okay. Why is that accepted? Why is it okay that a mouse, like you said, gets picked over a real human child? A mouse that sounds like a 35 year old Michael J. Fox. <laughs> like this is not a child. This is a, like a, a, a man mouse <laughs> so weird there's a cat so, mafia it's yeah. a strange film uh but that the matrix is a classic yeah and it's yeah visually stunning everything in that movie had to work perfectly for that whole movie to work perfectly because if you combining you know philosophy and sci-fi mm. and trench coats and green tint and windows 95 and sunglasses yeah. Yeah. And all of it works. That's incredible. I, I, I marvel about that every, especially since we see that it does not work if you do it three more times. Mm. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I, I, I think my favorite bit is, is when, um, you know, like agent Smith and they put the, the bug. Yeah. 
the bug in his stomach. It's like, oh my god, that that scene looks fucking great, <laughs> and I still just kind of like shiver when I see it. See it now. Um, god, I love this movie. We have to redo it. Um, so we did it a couple years ago. It feels like, or even longer, a uh, couple year, two and a half years ago, I think. And um, we just did. I just don't think we were ready. Uh, to be honest with you, not, not even that, like we're like, we're, we're always ready to talk about the matrix, but it feels like it would be good to bring it to this show. So we, we can give it awards. We can talk about its categories, talk about what it means cinematically have, have this kind of conversation just for longer. <laughs> yeah, I, uh, I agree. 100%. It's a couple movies we did on filmgasm that I wish we hadn't done the way we did them. So we got to, we, we got we to gotta do that again. We didn't know, man. You know, we, no, and, 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 and there's movies we've done on this show in the first 20 episodes or so where I'm like, I want that back. <laughs> give, it, give it back to me so, I, so we can do it again properly, especially those best picture winners that we covered uh, for the first 20 episodes. Like, I want to do a best picture showdown. And we are. We are going to do that. We're going to redo them one day. So uh, there's, there's no reason to not try to master what you've done before. Yeah, exactly. We're we're constantly learning because we're never going to be experts because that doesn't exist. Correct. Yeah. You can always, always do better. Always get better. Anyways, that's my number three. I'm, I'm curious here. Are we going to have any overlap? What's your number two? (laughs) My number two is the only time probably ever that Disney and Warner brothers worked together. 1988's who framed Roger rabbit. Ah, yes. Okay. I don't think we're gonna have overlap, but that's great. <laughs> I this 1988 having cartoons and and live action human beings act together in a seamless fashion, unheard of. I mean, it had been done, but it had never been done this good. Yeah, I mean, you had Mary Poppins and other movies with racist overtones. I don't want to talk about again. Yeah, but Roger Rabbit is a murder mystery that's kind of a kids movie. At times, but overall, really kind of a dark whodunit thriller. It's almost like it's Chinatown with cartoon rabbits. Mm. And it's, mm. it's really cool. And Christopher Lloyd plays one of my favorite movie villains ever in Judge Doom, who later becomes a tune. And th- the visual effects on him are creepy as fuck. It's, it's really remarkable. Just, you know, stuff going on in the background has no, nothing to do with the plot, but just adds to the tone and feel of the movie, makes it look more real. And it still looks amazing. That's a big part of it. Like this movie has aged incredibly well. It is so much fun. It's, it's hilarious. And it, you can never really tell where the, like, where the lot, like, you know, I, I keep looking for like, you know, the wire, like where, what's he really holding, but it's never, you never see it because they did this so perfectly. Hmm. Yeah. Roger Rabbit. I adore that movie. And it is one of the best visual effects films of all time. Yeah, we're, we're going to be doing that movie soon, man. We're going to do this movie. I promise. Can't wait. Can't wait. <laughs> we, we will do that movie. I know it's, it's super dear to your heart, man. And uh, I remember seeing this as a kid and being like, what the fuck am I watching? <laughs> yeah. yeah, if you're not prepared, you're going you're gonna to think you're dreaming or something. It's a very strange. Yeah. It's a fever dream type, type deal here. And, and it beat out Die Hard. Okay. And Willow. What a crazy group. What a crazy group we have here. Uh, yeah, man, this is one of Ken Ralston's five wins. 
along with Richard Williams, Edward Jones, and George Gibbs. Uh, those guys really outdid themselves. And like you said, it's a complete trendsetter when it comes to <clears throat> morphing, you know, an, an, an animated character or multiple animated characters and human beings in a seamless fashion. That's the biggest deal that, yes, it may have been done, but they broke new ground, you know, very much like Jurassic Park. Mm-hmm. Very, very, very much like the story in Jurassic Park where, you know, John Hammond's like, uh, you know, I've just taken it to the next level, <laughs> you know, and I think, I think, I think Who Framed Roger Rabbit takes it definitely to the next level. It's a great pick. I should have known that I was going to be on yours. Um, that's so awesome. I can't wait to do this movie. I can't wait to rewatch it. It's been a long, long time and it'll be really cool to kind of go into it. This lens. Uh, I feel like we need to get Caleb on for that one, man. All three of us need to do that. They did a real quick, one quick fun fact I can't hold in. They did a (laughs) Warner Brothers and Disney, you know, rivals for almost 100 years. Really hard to, you know, have some inter-studio cooperation with that. So their contracts were, you can use both sets of characters. You can use Goofy and Bugs Bunny and Mickey Mouse and all that. But both companies have to get equal amount of screen time. Nobody can have a little bit more than the other. They have to have the exact amount. So to get around that, they just had Bugs and Mickey have a scene and had Daffy and Donald have a scene. And that was it. It was like brilliant. <laughs> That's all we need. Genius. Yeah. Genius stuff. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> I love it. Good pick, man. That's, that's, that's a good one. That's kind of an outside the box one that, that really pushed, pushed the art form. Uh, and in a funny way, too. You know, like you said, it's just like a weird fever dream. Fucking what the hell is going on here type movie. Definitely more for adults than kids, I'd say. Oh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, my number two is uh, goddamn probably my favorite movie <clears throat> from all of these winners, like just on a movie standpoint, but also the definition of ahead of its time. And it's Alien from 1979. Uh, this is not, I mean, good God, this movie has no business looking as good as it does. And every, every aspect of it, the practicality on this one is such a fuck you to to where the movie industry is moving in the 80s it is such a fuck you like no like this is this is how it looks good this is how it looks cool and i like i like guys like john carpenter who stuck stuck to that you know with the thing movies like the thing and i think there are you know some steven spielberg efforts that hold true to that while also being realistic about okay we gotta put some cgi in there you know make this make this movie move but aliens like you know really scott and company are like no like we're going to build stuff and it's going to look amazing, you know, and we're going to use animatronics and we're going to have a great story behind it and great acting and great characters and less is more always less is more. And that's why alien is so effective because it doesn't show you too much. It leaves, leaves things to interpretation. It leaves things to imagination and then just enough punch, you know, just enough. Look at that. Holy shit. That looks so cool. And so amazing. Uh, for 1979, this is this is a special one. It beat 1941, The Black Hole, Moonraker, <laughs> Star Trek: The Motion Picture, and uh, yeah, I'd say Alien definitely deserved that. <laughs> Those are all like terrible movies. How did that happen? Yeah, yeah. Alien, yeah, just got handed the win here. H.R. Geiger, Carlo mm. Rambaldi, yeah, uh, Brian Johnson, Nick Alder, and Dennis Ailing. Those are the guys that you can, you know, thank for 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 uh, winning that Oscar and being able to be talked about here on this list. 
I love that Geiger or Giger, however you say it, like literally had I, a, I don't I've never known. I've never known yeah. how to say it. I've heard it several ways, but he had like a fucking terrifying nightmare, woke up and drew the alien. Like that is fright. That thing came from the bowels of hell. <laughs> like so cool. Amazing. Yeah. And then and it makes sense, you know, it's this weird, like almost unlike any other version of an alien, you know, that you would think of, you know, it's not the cartoonish weird one that you, you think of in your head when you think alien, Yeah, it is def it is definitely a singular experience that someone drew and came up with. And that's what you get. It's really cool. Yeah. It's like, why, why are we, I love that we're so arrogant as a species that we think even aliens from another world are going to kind of look like us. Yeah. Like why would they look like us? They would look like monsters of our darkest nightmares of, you know, composed of appendages we can't even fathom like they would you mm. know nest in our bodies use us as fucking like what's the term uh incubators and it's yes. just it's it's perfect because it's so out of the it's so out of nowhere and just insane that you're just like you're glued it's brilliant alien is one of the greatest films of all time yeah it's it's stellar it's an amazing amazing flick and I'm with you. Like my one, two, and three are just kind of like, ah, take your pick type thing. So uh, I threw it as number two, but it, it, it might be the most impressive and most important along with, I think, Star Wars list of just being just so fucking important to like what we see today in movies. Uh, I think 2001 A Space Odyssey is kind of in that, in that category of like, wow, like these guys were really trying to do something that nobody else was doing in their time. And that, that's special. That's a big part of what I included in my list is, you know, this is stuff no one else has even thought of or has never attempted. And 2001 nearly made my list, but. Me too. Mm. Me too. I, I, I haven't seen it. It's been too long since I've seen it. Um, it uh, admittedly, you know, uh, we're both huge Kubrick fans. And I think, I think we've been waiting to do it on this show to kind of like properly both rewatch it, check it out. Cause I think we're both kind of hesitant about it. Well, I feel like, like we, now, we respect it, but I feel like we're not like compared to his other stuff, you know, the shining and Dr. Strange love. I feel like we're not as big of fans. Well, I also, you know, when I first watched that film, I was in my what senior year of college. I hadn't really explored what I've explored at this point. So I feel mm. like now I've, I've learned enough to appreciate what Kubrick's trying to do with this movie. So I want to give it another shot, do it, properly with a with my current mindset on film i think that's a big very important fact yeah exactly i i think it is a movie that you should do over 100 episodes in on a, on a podcast it's one of those you know i think there's movies we've done in the past that we should have waited maybe a little longer to like really gather some data and some more thoughts and experiences with watching movies and so yeah i think we've both seen it and maybe two years from now it would be on this list you know who knows yeah who knows? yeah very cool. Uh, no idea what your number one is. I'm trying to think. I'm like, hmm. It's obvious when you, when you really think about it. <laughs> but I'm, I'm the same boat for you, man. Uh, it's kind of cheating, but it is Jurassic Park. Me too. That's Fuck. my number one. All right, way to go. <laughs> why is, why, that's not cheating. It's a great, it's perfect. <laughs> way to go. <laughs> Beautiful. That's beautiful. Uh, it's how could it not be? I mean, this what this movie had to accomplish. No one had ever done dinosaurs like this before. They had to create entirely new software to do like 
CGI mixed with animatronics that still looks astonishing. This still has the best visually stunning dinosaurs of the entire franchise, including the one I just fucking saw. It's it's perfect. It's one of the most important films and visual effects ever. Maybe the most important. Yeah, I, I think it is. I think I think it is. I think it <clears throat> is one of those. What's the word? It's almost scary because when you do that, it, it really resembles like the the story in the movie itself, which I think is so fascinating about the yeah. about Jurassic Park. Is it's scary when you go to this kind of a place creatively, and you go to a place like this with movies specifically. It's going to change everything. Everything's going to change after that, and like you can't go backwards now. Now CGI is one of the biggest you know, has one of the biggest strangleholds on movies. And, and it, you know, it just, it just does. So much of the shit we see in theaters is like, would not be possible without CGI. We just, there's no fucking way you could do it without green screen CGI. There's no way. And Jurassic Park combines kind of the old and new. It combines Steven Spielberg's kind of gritty, let's build, let's build something, let's make it, let's make this T-Rex look like it's, popping out at you not like it's on a screen but it's popping out at you without 3d let's make you know the brachiosaurus look look like you can touch it like look like it has texture on its skin that you can touch because part of it is a robot and then and then there's moments where you're like oh man this looks so amazing because it's it's computer generated stuff but but like you have to like you have to kind of take that you have to like give and take as a movie fan you kind of like yeah, he might be against CGI, but look what it's done for us, you know? And then I also understand the other, other side of the line where it's like, fuck computers. It should be about storytelling and acting and performances and practicality. I totally get it. Yeah. Jurassic Park is number one for me because it, it's that middle ground where it's like, it's 30 years after we figure out, you know, this is, this is the, the, in 1963 is when this category properly starts, visual effects. And then 30 years later, Jurassic Park wins the award. And now we're 30 years after Jurassic Park. So it's like this middle ground of look what we've kind of gathered and what we can do and look what we're about to do. And I think Jurassic Park is that, is, is that line. Um, I think it was Jaws and then it was Jurassic Park. And so Spielberg, you, you motherfucker. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Yeah, it, it is a kind of nexus point in filmmaking of like we've come this far and now like to quote Andy Dufresne, we're willing to go a little further. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's really, I never thought of it like that, but that's fucking brilliant. Yeah, it is. It's the movie that represents everything. <laughs> mm. mm-hmm. Cool, man. Yeah, wow. and, 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 and how many times does Sam Neill or Laura Dern or Jeff Goldblum say that to us about the park, about the theme, about the theme park? It's like, man, Spielberg is just like such a fucking genius. And, and probably, in my opinion, the most important American filmmaker of all time. And it's movies like this that prove that and do that for his, you know, for his resume. So, yeah, I've, I've always, always adored this movie. And I mean, now I think I like it more now than I did as a kid, which is really, really special because I loved it as a kid. Same, man. Same. I, I was watching... Um... I know I, I, this comes up a lot, but it just it was so impactful to me as a kid. Bravo's 100 Scariest Movie Moments. Mm. And Jurassic Park was like number, I think it was 93, actually, which is kind of funny. That's, that's great. <laughs> it was the Raptor Kitchen scene. But Stan Winston was there talking about 
how mm. we develop the dinosaurs. And he said the coolest thing. He said, my team did not make scary dinosaurs. We made real dinosaurs. Oh, I'm like, fuck yeah, you did, Stan. Yeah. Balls. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like he knows exactly how good he is. Yeah. <laughs> He's flexing. I love that. Yeah. And this, this, this is, this is the team right here. Stan Winston's a genius. Phil Tippett, Michael Lantieri, Lantieri, sorry. And Dennis Mirren, the guy who's got eight of these bad boys. So Dennis Mirren did, did this, did Terminator 2, did Inner Space. Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah, he's, he's, he's got eight of these. So it's just kind of like, he just pops up here and there out of, you know, and you're like, Oh God, this guy must be, must be pretty special. Uh, Where else is he? I think he worked on one of the Indiana Jones films, which is crazy. I, okay, I thought you'd have Raiders of the Lost Ark uh, on okay. your list somewhere. Let me explain that. All right. I love Raiders to Death. It is such an awesome movie. I do not think the visual effects have aged particularly well in certain scenes. Okay. I, especially the ending, I can tell Belloc is a doll when he blows up. Mm. And I, that, mm. that, that kept it off the top five. But it's in the top ten. And Raiders is still a ten movie to me. I love it to death. Yeah, that's not what we're talking about today. No, no, it's not. But, but goddamn, Dennis worked on Temple of Doom, (laughs) and he worked on uh, Return of the Jedi. Jesus Christ! And yeah, like, what more do you want from somebody? The Abyss, which also won nineteen eighty nine. I have not seen the Abyss. Um, I, I I had a hard time leaving out some of the some of the more modern movies but i I was just kind of i was like let me pick a couple of them and and then leave the rest you know because because it's not as impressive if you do it now it's just not uh studios throw a bunch of fucking money at you you have cgi out the wazoo like i i love first man i thought ex machina had subtle amazing cgi uh interstellar looks fucking crazy gravity looks great Uh, i just don't know sometimes it's hard to compare that with alien you mentioned that, you know, Ex Machina had the subtle subtlety of it. To me, that's what it takes these days is I don't want to know you're using CGI. If you're going to mm. win an Oscar, I shouldn't be able to tell. And okay. that's the yeah. thing. I, Dune's great because I think it did have those moments. But a lot of films like The Jungle Book, like it's very obvious that that kid's not riding a real bear. But yeah. So that, I, that comes into play these days for me is like, can you successfully trick me? And when a film can do it, I'm like, fuck it, give it all the gold. That's amazing. Yeah, that's pretty wild, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, I totally get that. You know, like Doctor Strange is like, okay, we get it. <laughs> it's, 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 uh, you know, it's, it's gonna, it's going to rely on that because that's just how the stories go. Yeah. But something, something like Gravity is like, wow, what, all, what all is real and what is not? <laughs> yeah. Like you said, when you question that and like think about that after you watch the film, like that's a that's a big deal. Uh, yeah, there's a curious case of Benjamin Button. What they do with Brad Pitt in that movie is fucking crazy. Yeah, and is you know is not CGI. CGI isn't isn't huge huge in that movie or huge in that story, but it's used just enough to kind of make you make you wonder about that craft. Sometimes it doesn't need to be lightsaber fights and interstellar battles and Thanos. Sometimes it just needs to be a few wrinkles that you don't notice. And yeah. that is the best kind of CGI for me. That's the best. When you use it just enough, but not too much. It's like, you know, fucking paprika. Just, yeah. Just enough. It's the seasoning it's, of film. Yeah, it is. It is. Uh, Spider-Man 2. You know, yeah. King, King Kong. 
Lord of the Rings. Lord of the Rings wins this bad boy three years in a row. Uh, Surprised neither of us had this. I almost did Two Towers just because the Helm's Deep scene is like, fuck you. You know, it's just like a major <laughs> fuck you. Like, look what we did in 2002. And, you know, really they filmed in 2000, you know, 2000, yeah. you know, like these movies were done by the time they all came out. And uh, that, that movie just looks spectacular for its time, especially that, that last battle. Um, Gladiator, I think Gladiator looks fucking awesome still. I don't really get like what what was the visual effects part of Gladiator? I, I I'm not sure. I'd have to read about it, but I think it's probably the setting mostly. Oh yeah, oh uh, yeah, that's that's right. You know, like ancient Rome. I think a lot of that is kind of like is green screen or, or or whatnot. I'm not, but I'm not totally sure. You know, I'd have to, and that's that's like a cool question to have. Like, what <laughs> what is it? Yeah, that's a good point. Because <laughs> Russell Crowe, Russell Crowe looks great, and he's fucking, you know, doing doing some of his own stunts, and and that that's great. Jamon Hansu is is amazing in that movie too. Ooh. So also, you know, they did have to kind of create Oliver Reed for his final scene. So that's ah, that, that went into play a bit. That that's probably not very easy twenty years ago. Uh, oh my god, that's barely easy now. <laughs> yeah, it still doesn't look very good. Uh, yeah, man, there's some great winners here. Uh, Superman won in 1978 with with yeah. no competition. Um, that always makes these, me laugh. Yeah, some of these, some of these early years, there's only one or two movies. Uh, you mentioned Mary Poppins, that one at the 37th Academy Awards. Uh, Thunderball, Fantastic <laughs> Voyage, Doctor Doolittle. Yeah, I mean, there's some movies we've we've we brought up or talked about at some point on this show, and uh, I I adore this category. I think it deserves way more recognition. Yeah, for sure. Um, I don't like that the Oscars have deemed certain categories lesser in recent years i think that's bullshit i think it is insulting to all these people's work and i i want them to kind of backpedal on that and give every award the same level of reverence because making a movie is not fucking easy and every piece of it matters yeah i totally agree man the the technical words always being in the back of the bus is like such a slap such a slap to the face um i was listening to a guy kind of go on a rant about that and he was saying the Oscars, if, if anybody, the Oscars should be at the forefront of saying, look how hard it is to make a good movie and look how cool it is to recognize those people who made a good movie, you know, and I, I couldn't agree more. You know, I think, of course, we'd love to see, you know, the Brad Pitts and Leonardo DiCaprio's go on stage and take their gold and give a speech. But I would also love to learn more about the guys who are really making what we see for years and years. Um, Jurassic Park it's it just we wouldn't give a shit if it was just Sam Neill and Jeff Goldblum talking in a car the whole time we wouldn't give a shit it's because there's dinosaurs walking right next to them you know um, that's just the fact of the matter yeah very true I would I would love if Spielberg did that though just like build this movie like dinosaurs and it's just three paleontologists talking about life for two hours I mean I might watch that Who am I, I would kidding? watch it absolutely but <laughs> I'd be a little disappointed. <laughs> yeah. I'd be like, where are the dinos, you know? Or, or if Jaws, you just never see the shark. You're like, well, uh, well, I'd like to see him for a little bit, you know, at least kill Robert Shaw. <laughs> you know what? Actually, that would actually be kind of cool if Jaws never did show the shark. All you saw was the fin and just the mayhem, but you never actually saw the beast. You basically don't until late. So, uh, yeah, I mean. <laughs> kind of what Alien did. I mean, yeah, Alien definitely. 
they wait till the last second. You're like, okay, is this called alien or not? <laughs> and, then, and then bam, aliens very much about the, the fucking mystery within of like, who is the rat? <laughs> you know? And it, it reminds me of the thing in that way where it's like this, this, this thing, this otherworldly thing is making everybody question each other. Like I, I love when movies do that. Oh man. I wish if the thing was a winner, would you have, you would have it here, right? One, that would 100% be on my top five. If the thing was a winner, it might, it'd probably be like my number two or three. Yeah. Yeah. That film's <laughs> dedication to visual effects and makeup unrivaled in horror man i mean <laughs> it's amazing yeah just just fucking breathtaking yeah anyway this has been a lot of fun uh talking about this aspect of movies we spent spent nearly an hour just kind of talking about this and i could keep going um i love it i think we very clearly could have made top tens you know and, and got away with it and had some fun so neither of us mentioned that the three lord of the rings movies you know star wars indiana jones like these are monumental movies so I think looking at this category really shows like what was the, what was the trendsetter from that year? Yeah, absolutely. I wanted films that represented the evolution of visual effects, not just, you know, look what we did now, but like, look what we could do. And Mm. that's important to me when it comes to this kind of category. Beautiful. Well, I think both of us having Jurassic Park as number one is a great way to just kind of move into the next segment here. We're going to give awards out to Jurassic Park. Uh, and then we'll look at the 66th Academy Awards for some fun later on. Um, here we go, man. This is going to be a blast. We have the Quentin Tarantino Award for the best quote. Lots of good stuff here. I had such a hard time like choosing comedy or serious. Um, we have the Ennio Morricone Award for, I mean, we haven't even mentioned John Williams yet. One of the most iconic scores of all time. I had, I, I, I still haven't really decided. I have three songs written down. Uh, three pieces of the score, and so I'll have to just make a decision on the fly. Uh, we have the Philip Seymour Hoffman Award for the best performance of the movie, which is actually tougher than I realized as I sat down and realized there's about seven people that are awesome in this movie, including fucking Wayne Knight. <laughs> uh, and then we have the Roger Deakins Award for the best scene of the movie, which also has, I, there's about 10 rewatchable scenes that you could just pull up on YouTube or something, and you're like, this is the best. So uh, this is going to be, this is going to be great. I'll let you kick it off with your Tarantino whenever you're ready. I, this was very hard. I had a couple written down. Uh, one of my, one that I didn't write down. I always love this. It's when uh, we first meet uh, Nedry and Dodson shows up and he's like, don't use my name. And Nedry just goes, Dodson, we got Dodson here. <laughs> like, no one cares. <laughs> I always love that. <laughs> that was nice hat. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> what, a secret agent. Dodgson uh, <laughs> oh, Don't get cheap on me Dodgson uh, I love that Some paper is uh, breakfast yeah. uh, There was that and then I'm also uh, in, the, in the park When they're on the tour and Malcolm Talks into the camera and is like uh, You do plan to have dinosaurs On your dinosaur park Like eventually <laughs> But I had to go with just Goldblum has some incredible Speeches in this film and yes. I went with one of his speeches. Okay. It's when they're talking, they're at the round table after they've seen the dinosaurs, they're talking about the implications of this technology. And Malcolm mm. says, if I may, I'll tell you the problem with the scientific power that you're using here. It didn't require any discipline to attain it. You read what others had done and you took the next step. You didn't earn the knowledge for yourselves, so you don't take any responsibility for it. You stood on the shoulders of geniuses to accomplish something as fast as you could. And before you even knew what you had, 
patented it and packaged it and slapped it on a plastic lunchbox. And now you're selling it. Your scientists were so preoccupied with it, whether or not they could, that they didn't stop to think if they should. Mm. That is the whole goddamn franchise right there is science thinking they're better than nature and having it blow up in their face six times. God. Yeah. Brilliant. Brilliant pick. I thought I love that scene. I love how Hammond is like, you know, the blood sucking lawyer is the only one who agrees with me because he goes around the table and all three of them, all the three of the ones that have brains, they're like, this is like very dangerous what you're doing and should probably not be done, even though it looks really cool. And yeah, and yeah, you're going to get people to pay thousands of dollars to come check it out. This is dangerous. This is this is fucked up. And God, I, I love that scene. I think that could be up for the Deacons. I really do. I think that is, that is a, a philosophical, very adult debate about a movie that's really family oriented. And then for a moment, Spielberg always does that. He always is like, let's make sure it's still a mature, a mature film that people will still like, you know, 20, 30, 40 years later because of those kind of endless, timeless philosophical debates between human beings. Genius. Yeah. I love stories that deal with man trying to play God and how it never works. It always blows up and creates some monstrosity or some disaster. And nobody ever learns anything. That's the thing about Jurassic Park. No one fucking learns a thing. You know, in part, I love there's a scene, there's a quote in Lost World where Hammond's talking about Site B and sending a team there. And he's telling Malcolm, like, you see, we're not making the same mistakes. And Malcolm goes, no, no, you're making all new ones. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, nobody fucking learns a thing. It's <laughs> incredible, man. Ah, well, I, I have a couple as well. Uh, I, I don't ever do this. <laughs> I always try to pick one, but one of them to me is a proper Tarantino that's quick and to the point. And then I have a longer one as well, or kind of like a, a, a bit of dialogue. But my, the one that makes me laugh the most always is again, Jeff Goldblum is uh, lights out in this. Uh, Ian Malcolm, he's like, there, look at this. See, see, I'm right again. Nobody could have predicted that Dr. Grant would suddenly, suddenly just jump out of a moving vehicle. And then Dr. Sadler, uh, Laura Dern, she's like, Alan, Alan. And then she gets out of the vehicle and he says, there, there's another example. <laughs> see here, now I'm sitting by myself, talking to myself. That's the chaos theory. There's <laughs> <laughs> uh, no way you... in hell that was in the script. Yeah, that's that was Jeff all Goldblum. Goldblum. Yeah. I love that bit though. I love when he's, he's got the water and he puts it on her hand and he's like, see there. Yeah. It's tiny particles, the hairs on your, <laughs> on your arm. Jeff Goldblum is such like a good slimy guy in this movie. <laughs> he's slimy, but I like him. <laughs> uh, I love the mo- One of my favorite moments of his is when they're in the helicopter and he's talking about what he does. And he tells Dr. Sattler right in front of Grant, like, Dr. Sattler, I refuse to believe that you are unfamiliar with the concept of attraction. Yeah. <laughs> Smooth. Yeah. Brilliant. <laughs> Brilliant stuff. And, and, and Hammond's like, I brought scientists and you brought a rock star. <laughs> oh, God. Wonderful. I love that bit. Um, but it, my true Tarantino, the one that like really made me pause the movie and sit there and be like, wow, uh, was the bit you brought up and then another kind of similar type de- you know, debate between, between grown adults about what's really going on here. And you insert Henry Wu, um, one of the kind of head scientists here, one of the head researchers at Jurassic Park, 
who's just kind of a prick. Let's be honest. Yeah. Um, John Hammond comes up and he sees a, a dinosaur hatching from its egg and he says, Ooh, I've been present for the birth of every little creature on this island. Ian Malcolm says, surely not the only ones that are bred in the wild. Henry Wu, actually, they can't breed in the wild. Population control is one of our security precautions. There's no unauthorized breeding in Jurassic Park. Ian Malcolm, how do you know they can't breed? And then Henry says, well, because all the animals in Jurassic Park are female. We've engineered them that way. Ian Malcolm, but again, how do you know that they're all female? Does somebody go out into the park and pull up the dinosaur skirts? (laughs) Henry says, no. We control their chromosomes. It's really not that difficult. All vertebrae embryos are inherently female anyway. They just require an extra hormone given at the right development stage to make them male. We simply deny them that. Then Laura Dern comes in and says, deny them that? Which I love. That's a nice, she has a couple subtle things like that that are really cool. And then Ian says, John, the kind of control you're attempting simply is, it's not possible. If there's one thing that history of evolution has taught us, it's that life will not be contained. Life breaks free. It expands to new territories. And crashes through barriers painfully, maybe even dangerously. But uh, well, there it is. John Hammond, there it is. <laughs> and then Henry says, You're implying that a group composed entirely of female animals will breed? And then Ian Malcolm says, No, I'm simply saying that life uh, finds a way. Mm. <laughs> the quote of the film by far. Yeah. Well done. <laughs> so good. Simply saying that life uh, finds a way. Uh, and it's really cool when, uh, sorry, uh, Grant admits that Malcolm's right later yeah, in the movie. The eggs, yeah, that's such a that's such a like beautiful moment of Grant just realizing just kind of the power of where he's at. <laughs> you know, like, wow, this is incredible. It's not a dream. You know, this is this is real. Uh, but I love how Ian Malcolm the entire time is very aware of what's going on and very aware of just kind of the, the danger of it all. Yeah. The second, he sees a, the second he sees a dinosaur, he's like, this is wrong. We should not yeah. be doing this. No, this is fucked up. I also love the quote where um, Grant says, uh, a T-Rex doesn't want to, doesn't want to be fed. It wants to hunt. You can't suppress 65 million years, <laughs> you know, into, you know, into, into right now, you can't do that. Like it's impossible to do that. And I, I've, I think some of those, some of those things are just like brilliant. And yeah. as time goes on, I think this movie will keep getting better because these are, these are timeless debates. Mm. These are, these are debates that could happen because of the amount of time that has been between dinosaurs and us. This could, this movie will live forever. Yeah. I agree. That's like, that's one of the best parts about it. One of my favorite lines that I nearly had was when Malcolm is sitting in the car with Dr. Sattler and Grant trying to look at the T-Rex and he just like mutters under his breath. God, God creates dinosaurs. God destroys dinosaurs. God creates man, man destroys God, man creates dinosaurs. Yeah. And then, and then uh, what is Laura Dern's like? Dinosaurs eat man, woman inherits the earth. Yeah. They both look at her. Grant's got this like smile on his face, and Malcolm's a little worried. Yeah. Like, what the fuck? She's she's something else, ain't she? He's like, you have no idea. (laughs) Yeah, there's some great quotes in here. We could go on forever with the, you know, we spared no expense is one of my favorite repeated lines in any movie ever. You know, John Hammond says it about 30 times, and it's every time it makes me laugh. His whimsy and just this charm of like, look how cool this is. 
while everyone else is like, you arrogant bastard, this is so dangerous. And he's just like, but it's cool. It's a theme park. And yeah. He doesn't realize it till like way later when he should have. And yeah, it's great. Yeah. I've decided to not endorse your park. So have I. <laughs> I love that. Uh, that ending is so good. Oh man. All right. Here, here's to me is the real, the real deal here. The Ennio Morricone award for best, best, best piece of music from John Williams and one of his best efforts of all time. So many iconic moments in this movie revolve around what John gave us. Hmm. Uh, he's, he's probably the best to ever do it. So what do you got? What do you got for the Enya? When we were doing the beyond the bed on Jurassic park three, Caleb informed me that there is a singular right answer to this award. And he was, he, he grilled me to see, like, do you have it? And when we were done recording, I told him what it was, and I did have it. And it is Welcome to Jurassic Park. It's when the helicopter arrives at the island, and that sweeping theme plays. <laughs> yeah. This amazing, adventurous music, and you're like, what am I in store for here? Yeah. And it's, I think it's you know one of the most iconic film scores of all time. I think it speaks to William's genius that this isn't even one he was nominated for. Yeah. Crazy, unreal, and I think that year took it for Schindler's List, right? Yeah, yeah. So he was just cranking them out. Yeah, and just tear, just tearing it up. Him and him and Steve just yeah. hanging out, making great stuff. Unreal, and <laughs> yeah, this is um, this is beautiful and really cool. And there's so many musical moments in this movie that like go from like you know adventurous to horrific to tragic to regretful. Like it's such a beautiful score. Yeah, I, I adore it. It's probably it's probably my I don't know. I think it might be my favorite John Williams score. And I don't know. That's like I can't tell. Uh, <laughs> it's, it's it's like nearly impossible to really really do that. But I just I, I think every single track is just a banger. It's just like so lights out. Um, one of my favorites is um, is when Wayne Knight is stealing the embryos. That music is fucking intense. As the, it starts raining and he's got like 18 minutes to figure out what he's going to do, you know, he, 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 he gets a gnarly send off <laughs> in this movie. I love how incredibly like unprepared he was for all of this. Like when he's asked to go steal the embryos and he's like, I think I'm going to go get a soda. Does anybody, anybody want a soda, some pretzels or something? Like anybody, just being yeah. incredibly conspicuous and they don't even care. Yeah. I think I'm going to go to the, uh, I'm thinking I'm going to go to the snack machines, the snack machines, anybody? Samuel Jackson's like, this motherfucker. <laughs> Please. Uh, I hate this hacker crap. Yeah. I, God, I love it. I, yeah. Uh, I, I, chose, I chose Journey to the Island. The same thing. The, the theme, the, the, you know, Welcome to Jurassic Park. Because there, that's, that's like a, if you listen to it on Spotify or Apple Music or wherever, it's like an eight minute bit. And it has the. And then, I, and then slower, slowly into the song it goes, and it has the yeah, <laughs> like it's so because as you see the dinosaurs, and you know, um, Sam Neill grabs Lord Dern's head and you know turns it to like look, like look at this, it's a fucking dinosaur. Like that stretch of the movie is like, and that's when John Hammond is like, Doctor Grant, my dear Doctor Sadler, welcome to Jurassic Park. <laughs> It's like, man, movies are cool. <laughs> they really are. Uh, <laughs> one one bit of music I nearly had was when um, all hell's broken loose and Hammond's in the like the, the dining area eating the ice cream, 
and the camera pans over all the Jurassic Park merchandise. And mm. it's the, you know, da, 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 but like very quiet and remorseful, almost like the dream mm-hmm. is dead. Yeah. No one's buying this merchandise. This was a misguided effort, but a dream nonetheless. And it was yeah. so good. Beautiful. Yeah, God, John Williams is just light years ahead of most most composers. Uh, just add another one to the list. Yeah, this was this this award was a lot of fun. To just kind of, I was just listening to the score today at work, and I was like, man, he outdid himself. You know, Williams was um, he was asked to compose. I think he he either volunteered or was asked to compose a theme for the Kenobi show on Disney Plus. And he he doesn't do the music. He just composed the theme, but he cranked it out in like half an hour. It's fucking awesome. (laughs) How does he do it? (laughs) He just wrote it on a piece of paper. Like, use that. (laughs) I can't can't believe that guy, you know? (laughs) Yeah, it's like fucking stupid. (laughs) What he's able able to do. Makes me feel just like I, I have... Not an ounce of the genius that he, he had. Make me think have, like have, I should have learned to read music. Uh, for sure. I've <laughs> definitely thought I've definitely thought that a few times. Um, yeah, De- Dennis steals the embryo is is one of my favorites. I love a tree for my bed when they're uh, uh, Doctor Grant. And the two kids are, are sleeping together. Well, they're the two kids are sleeping and he's just kind of like watching as dinosaurs walk by. Uh, and the the raptor attack that track is fucking sick and takes you for a ride and you know one of the most iconic scenes of the movie so uh yeah you could kind of you just kind of do whatever you want with this award You're, there's no weak link from this score it's 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 the greatest but i agree with you i do think the dun, 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 is just so iconic and hard to pass up so uh i went, i basically wanted the same thing uh philip Seymour hoffman award this is Oof. this was tough uh there's Very so tough. many so many great iconic characters in this movie like this one of the few movies that has the perfect union of actor and character where I can't imagine anybody else playing Dr. Grant or Dr. Sattler or Dr. Malcolm. But ultimately I had to go with Richard Attenborough. Wow. I love it. I John love Hammond, it. John Hammond for one specific reason. This character is a monster in the book. Hammond mm-hmm. is a selfish, arrogant psycho who willingly endangers his grandchildren and gets eaten to death by the compies at the end of the book. Attenborough took that and added in fucking Santa Claus and created misguided fun grandpa who really just wants to wants people to enjoy this magical thing he's created. That's what it's all about. It's so people can see these creatures. And I believe Hammond wants to do the right thing. He doesn't see it as dangerous because he's so blinded by his desire to make people happy. And I love that version of Hammond. It makes him such an endearing character. who You, you really like and Attenborough just has this, this charm and whimsy and de- delightful nature about him that he couldn't play a monster if he tried. He's just mm. so bouncy in this movie. And I, I love him as Hammond. I love we got to see him again in The Lost World. And yeah, to me, he is the, the star of this, this movie. Oh, yeah. Great pick. I, yeah, I didn't really think about that because I haven't read the book. So that's, that's a good call. That he really made this character his own. That's kind of the whole idea, right? Um, I went with Jeff Goldblum. That was Dr. Ian Malcolm. Uh, yeah, of course. Uh, yeah, he's, yeah. He's, he's, he's lights out. Um, <laughs> I, I, I love Laura Dern in this movie, too. I'm just a big fan of hers. And I think, I think she is one of those 
character actors who can, who can kind of can kind of do both can become a movie star like that, you know, at the you know drop of a dime, and she can also do really really weird shit, you know, like what she does wild at heart three years before this, you know, and it's just it, it's wild to see the range that, that she can go to, but Goldblum is is the fucking man in this movie from his from his choice of costume, you know, what he what he's wearing, how he talks. But but like I said, he's kind of a lovable douchebag. Like he's kind of like, yeah, this guy this guy might be kind of slimy, but man, he's smart and he really understands philosophically what's going on here and sees right through it and is very skeptical. I love, like you said, when he looks in the camera and he's like, are we uh, going to have dinosaurs on this dinosaur tour? I love the, the flirting with Dr. Sadler. I love, I love him and Laura Dern have a really good chemistry. And then him and Sam Neill later in the movie have an awesome chemistry uh, where they, you know, they, they talk about women. They talk about, you know, like, look, look where the fuck we are. Like, how did life bring us here? You know, it's really cool. Um, I love how he, he gets hurt. I love the scene when the T-Rex is chasing them on the Jeep and he's like, move fast, move faster. <laughs> yeah. Let's go fast. Uh, yeah, I, I love all that stuff. You know, uh, th- I think it's brilliant. I think he's, he's amazing. But uh, yeah, I don't think there's like a wrong answer here. If you said, if you said Wayne Knight, I wouldn't yeah. be mad. He's I, amazing in this. I had Goldblum written down this morning. I, it, it changed over the course of the day. Uh, <laughs> but it, yeah, I, I love Jeff Goldblum in this because again, the character of Ian Malcolm in the book also pretty self-serving kind of an asshole, but Goldblum brings his charm to the role and makes you like him. Yeah. I, I, there's never been a Goldblum character. I didn't like, except for maybe the rapist in death wish, but he was like his first movie. Yeah. We can forgive him for that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I love when he's, when him and Sam Neill are talking about marriage and he's like, yeah, I'm always on the lookout for a future ex Mrs. Malcolm. It's like, Brilliant. That's a great character insight right there. Yeah. I love beautiful. the weird, like sexy way he's posing when he's in, like healing up at the at the place, his his, jack, his shirt's open. He's like, like he's on fucking Calvin Klein model. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so good decisions. He makes a lot of amazing, ballsy, just fun decisions, and that's like one of my favorite things about any any performer. So yeah, it's it's been Jeff Goldblum probably for a long time. Ever since I first saw this, most likely, or or really, you know, he could be like the the PSH goes to the T Rex like that. <laughs> That, that robot is putting in some work. Yeah, that's yeah, fucking raptors. I one guy I do think is is underused is uh, the guy who played Muldoon. Oh, yeah, I forget his yeah. name. I think it's Bob Peck. Clever girl. Yeah, yeah that, I wish we gotten to see this guy in action more than once before Raptor ate his face off. In my opinion, the the route I would go because I, I love like honing in on a character from like something iconic like Jurassic Park. I like honing in on a character that didn't get a lot of screen time like him and giving him like a prequel of some sort. I think like a movie where he's the man and he's like fucking let's get our hands dirty. Let's fucking get in there and like fuck with some dinos. Like I, I want to see that. I want to see that guy because he is the stuff he's talking about. He's like they never attack the same point in the fence. They're looking for weaknesses. They remember. <laughs> You're like, I could listen to this guy forever. <laughs> like after watching Lost World, like we know about Site B. We know this guy's been working for Engen for quite some time. We know exactly. he's got experience with the Raptors. So I would love to see a movie where he's like herding the Raptors on Site B and shit gets, you know, goes haywire. Yeah. That'd be awesome. 
God damn. I yeah. would much rather watch that than William H. Macy, you know, fucking around. <laughs> yeah, Kirby paint and tile plus. No, fuck that. <laughs> uh, the, the, I'll say my like only gripe. And this isn't this isn't really a gripe. This is just kind of me being a cynical bastard. Is the two the two actors who play the kids are not very good in this in Jurassic Park. They're not very good, especially the girl. The girl's bad. There's like five or six good child actors in all of Hollywood history. So I I, I, I let a lot of that slide. I, I do too. But as I was watching it, I was like, man, she does not know how to like deliver lines. She's like, oh, I know this, you know. It's just, what? It just it doesn't go with the rest of the movie. It's like, oh damn. One thing that made me laugh: the guy who played the kid led a massive Twitter campaign to be cast in, in the new movie as like a return like cameo thing. Spoiler alert: he he didn't get it. Yeah, <laughs> nobody nobody knows who he is. Nor does he look like the kid from thirty years ago. <laughs> I just find that funny. He's like, it's time to go back to work with like a Jurassic Park poster, and nobody bit. Yeah. No thanks. <laughs> That's that's brilliant. <laughs> I love it. All right. Um, last award here before we kind of finish off with the 66th Academy Awards. The Roger Deakins Award for best scene of the movie. This was... This is this is tough. I, I knew what it was the second I watched the movie because it's always been this scene. But I could have gone with, you know, the arrival of the T-Rex or the raptor attack or, you know, the, the first time we see a dinosaur. But to me... My favorite scene of this movie is Dennis Nedry's comeuppance. Mm. When he, you know, fucks up, goes over that hill, tries to tow the car out. I mean, at that point, you're like, the fucking boat is gone. <laughs> he's, no, he's going nowhere. Yeah. And then he stumbles onto the, I think, Dilophosaurus, the frilly yeah. thing. And he starts playing with it with a stick. And those fuckers light him up. <laughs> it's yeah. so satisfying. This guy who destroyed this whole park for money and is going to just such a vicious death. This knowing, cause it, like, I know I keep doing this but in the book, um, that black shit melts his eyeballs. Awesome. Like it's pure, like acid. It's like fucking alien. And also the thing starts ripping him apart gut first. So he is alive. <laughs> like it's a vicious, death. the book's a horror story straight up. And there's elements of that in the movie, but I Spielberg toned it down. Cause he needed that billion dollar box office. Fair enough. Fair enough. But yeah, I love, I think Wayne Knight is great in this movie. He's such a slimy piece of shit. And you just love watching him get his. And then the Barbasol can disappears. Oh yeah. So good. Just drenched in mud. Yeah. I love that. I love that bit. <laughs> that's, that's such a good pick. And the music again, the music behind that, that whole scene is frightening. Just the, um, you know, the, like the weird shrill noise always freaks me the fuck out, man. Yeah, they're like weird, like, you know, and he's a like, good boy, good boy. <laughs> Just hearing him scream as that thing rips him apart in the Jeep. It's like, God damn. And the, the Jeep is just shaking. You're like, no one's ever going to see him again. <laughs> Even in, in part uh, two, like he, uh, Malcolm mentions like three deaths under your watch. Like they don't mention Nedry. Nobody fucking found him. Yeah. Jesus. Fucking scary he just got shredded to bits yeah which which is great he, he deserves it um uh, but that that's that's a great plot line movie that, that we like obviously need very badly that a guy who does not care about the well-being of the people visiting doesn't care about his dad's you know like what what's really going on i love when he's like okay dad <laughs> and samuel jackson's just continually shaking his head like oh this fucking guy 
the moral of this story is never leave the IT like the IT stuff of your massively dangerous dinosaur park to one disgruntled employee who you are clearly underpaying. Yeah. I don't want to hear about your financial burdens anymore. <laughs> I love what he says to Dennis though. He's like, I don't blame people for their mistakes, but I, I am, I, I insist that they pay for them. Yeah. That's foreshadowing right there. Hammond. hundred percent. hundred percent. Yeah. So good. You will pay Mr. Hammond. Oh man. I, I chose one of the ones that you, you kind of mentioned. <clears throat> it's, it's when the T-Rex shows up. <laughs> uh, good God. This is when the movie gets going. <laughs> it really, it's, it, it's like, I would say mm, an hour in, or maybe a little less than an hour, maybe 50 minutes into the movie. Yeah. And from there on out, it is a ride. It's very similar to the formula of Jaws. Once they get on the boat, it's like buckle up. This thing's about to go haywire, you know, and and when the T Rex shows up, is such an such an iconic bit for so many reasons. Of course, the T Rex looks great, and is this is this robot that comes out of the fence, and this the sound in this movie, this like oh my god, like <laughs> it, it you know I I have a whole new appreciation for sound and for for like what it is after we went to the Academy Museum. Uh, back in December, me and you, and we kind of saw what really goes into this. And you have people that are in their apartment creating these sounds, making things, make, you know, testing things, seeing if they work, experimenting. I would love to be the guy who's in charge of get that T-Rex fucking roar, get it down, make it scary, make it weird, make it put you on your fucking, you know, on your ass. You know, <laughs> uh, I love I love when the T-Rex just roar, just fucking roars still as much as I did as a kid. But then you have all the other things around it. Before the T-Rex actually gets there, you have the boom, boom. And you see the water ripples. Genius. You have, you have the, the goat. Where'd the goat go? You know, and then boom, it flies on the car. And you're like, holy shit. Uh, you have the reactions from the different characters. You know, the two kids who are experiencing it. The lawyer who runs off and gets fucking destroyed. And you have Sam Neill, who's the only one who's like, don't move. It's, it's vision is based on movement. So if you stay still, it won't attack you. And you have Jeff Goldblum who's like, man, fuck this shit. <laughs> this is, yeah, this is what I'm talking about with the flare. He, yeah, so good. Um, everything about it is hitting on all cylinders and gets the movie going into a crazy direction. That's when the dinosaurs come out, come out to play. Um, and then, you know, of course, we see the scene with, with, um, with Dennis frightening stuff from a dinosaur we see the raptors raptors with the two kids when i almost chose that the the kitchen scene with the raptors is also great when those two raptors show up when the first one's there and it starts you know calling for it and the other one shows up you're like oh my god this looks so amazing it's just ridiculous how they pulled all this stuff off especially since the whole movie they're talking about how intelligent these raptors are and how dangerous they were and how scary they were and the way they hunt and then we get the payoff. It's mm. like they even mentioned, even Nedry wasn't dumb enough to mess with the Raptor pen. It's like, and then they get out and it's like, oh shit, now, now it's scary. Now we're in a horror movie. That was done so well. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's brilliant. I love the bit when they're, the two kids are eating and you see the Velociraptor shadow. The jello just, shaking. <laughs> oh man, such a just beautiful scene. Big, big, uh, what does he call him? Big Tim, the human toast. Dude, when he 
when Grant grabs the fence and like fakes him out, I always want to be like, you asshole. Now's not the time. <laughs> no, it's not. It's not the time. Like, are you delirious? Like you need to go to sleep, old man. <laughs> yeah. Oh, couple, there's so, so many good bits. A couple fun facts about the T-Rex. The noise, the, the roar is a mixture of a dog, a penguin, a tiger snarl, alligator gurgle, and a baby elephant squeal. All at different frequencies. I, like, well, come on. That's movie making. That's, that's, that's magic. And also the lawyer is the guy who gives Steve Martin a motel room for $17 and a nice watch. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Good call. Good call. Yeah. <laughs> the blood sucking lawyer who's wearing like a blazer and shorts. Like he's got like a matching blazer shorts combo going on that it just doesn't work. It just, just doesn't work. Uh, yeah. That's brilliant. That T-Rex arrival is maybe the most iconic scene of the movie. It's the introduction of one of the greatest movie villains ever in the T-Rex, a staple of this franchise. Found out it has a name. It's Roberta. (laughs) Awesome. Roberta. Because they're all, yeah, they're all female. Yeah. It's supposed to be the same Rex in all six movies. It's the same Rex. (laughs) It's crazy. I love that. I think that's really cool. Yeah. Awesome stuff. Yeah, brilliant. I, I, yeah, I fucking love this movie, man. It's just, it's, just, it's perfect. Uh, I really have no qualms with it other than a couple, couple things. And those are pretty minor. So I can always forgive them. It's a 10 out of 10, like pretty, pretty easily. And I will, I will go to bat this, go to bat for this movie forever. It's that, it's that kind of a thing. It's not, if I were to make a, you know, a personal favorite movies of the 90s, it might not be in the top, you know, 10 or 15, but it's one of the best I've seen. Like, there's no question about it. It's one of the best. How can you not love this movie if you're, you know, you're just a person who enjoys storytelling? Didn't we do that on, on Filmgasm? We, we did that. That was a long time ago. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I wonder if Jurassic Park was on our list. I don't remember. <laughs> Neither do I. I don't remember. I don't remember at all. I know at some point I probably talked about Pulp Fiction. We probably both talked about Pulp Fiction, maybe Shawshank. I know your number um, one was Magnolia. I know that. Of course, yeah. Fight Club <laughs> might have been in there. Uh, Big Lebowski is definitely on there for both of us. Yeah. Um, yeah, that'd be fun to go back and just do again or, you know, just listen to. Just, you know, see how different it would be now, you know? Yeah. Because the, the, these lists that we do, uh, they're tough, man. And sometimes and all, it's on. It's uh, it's based on the day sometimes. Exa- yeah, they're all dependent on how we're feeling at the time. It's, it completely yeah. changes. It's arbitrary as hell, but it's fun. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Exactly, which I have no problem with it. Uh, well, let's let's finish this thing off, man. Let's. Uh, this has been a lot of fun. I love praising movies that are just iconic. Sixty uh, six Academy Awards. It won all three of these categories. Uh, Jurassic Park. Really wish it would have been up for Best Picture, but you know, <laughs> the Oscars don't don't like to give you know movies that are good and popular <laughs> a chance at that. So. Uh, best visual effects, which is you know something we've been talking about a bunch. It won against Cliffhanger and The Nightmare Before Christmas. Crazy group. I haven't seen Cliffhanger, but that's that's real competition with Nightmare Before Christmas. I mean, that entire movie is a visual effect, and it's it's revolutionary too. Yeah, mm. I know we've spent this whole podcast praising the revolutionary visual effects of Jurassic Park, but I I don't know here, man. I kind of want. Kind of wish Nightmare had taken this one. Okay, so if Nightmare takes this, is it in your top five visual effects winners? 
Yes, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it completely re revitalizes like what animated movies can can be, rejuvenates them to like, oh, you can also do this. You can also stop motion can be a a, a real way of telling stories. And now there's since then there's been some amazing movies that have come out with that, you know. And I think you got to thank you know Tim Burton for really kind of forging that ahead uh he he he's he's used that multiple times and uh nightmare is still the most impressive one yeah no nightmare before christmas i doubt we i'm sure we'll get a best animated feature category but i think we might have not have gotten it as soon if nightmare before christmas hadn't happened yeah i think it's i think it's just as important as beauty and the beast and the lion king and you know those films that force you to okay let's look at this seriously now it's a disney movie it's part of disney's 90s renaissance it, yeah, it is. It is. It's just as important as, you know, Lion King and Toy Story and that whole run, you know? So 1993, it's a good year for movies. Um, I think the Oscars got some stuff wrong as usual, but I mean, Jurassic Park and, and Nightmare is a toss up. Either one I'm okay with. Um, I might lean a little more towards Jurassic Park, but I don't know. That might be just on the day because we've been talking about it for the past two hours. <laughs> true. Very true. All right. What else we got? Best sound effects editing. Uh, this is Jurassic Park winning versus the cliffhanger, or just cliffhanger. Sorry, that's a Sylvester Stallone movie. And the fugitive. Fugitive is great. I do love the fugitive, uh, but no one's taken sound editing from Jurassic Park. No, or or sound or yeah. best sound, uh, which it also won. It beat Cliffhanger again, the fugitive again, Geronimo on American Legend, and Schindler's List. Why'd that get five? I don't know. Yeah, what's the deal here? And these other these other categories get three. It's the, I don't I don't fucking get it. Neither do I. I gotta watch Cliffhanger. I've I've heard that's pretty good. Best makeup also only got three. I don't know. Makeup usually going on three. That's only recently where it started to get five. Okay, okay, it's more like past decade or so. Uh, yeah, interesting. I just think five's what they should all be. Yeah, make. I don't get why there's. Yeah, that shouldn't even be a question. But here we are. Yeah, Jurassic Park deserves both of these awards. Uh, the sound design in this film is unreal. I mean, all those dinosaur noises had to be created from scratch because we don't know what dinosaurs sounded like. So we had to figure it out. Brilliant. <laughs> That's what yeah. it is for me. It's like, this is a new animal noise. Good luck. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. I, I love it. I love Jurassic Park. I would... I would put it in best picture over. I haven't seen the remains of the day, but I've seen the other four. I've probably taken the name of the father out. I don't know. No, I wouldn't. Um, Jesus Christ. I don't know what I would take out. Schindler's list. Schindler's list is just so goddamn tough. Like it's just such a brutal, brutal film. Fugitive is super entertaining. Damn. Maybe. I don't know. I don't want to take out the piano either. Um, this is hard. This is hard. I've only seen The Fugitive, so I don't really have a dog in the race here. I still have not seen Schindler's List. It's just, I know it's going to be amazing, but God, it's going to be incredibly bleak and sad and depressing, and it's going to ruin my entire day. So I'm, I'm waiting for it to just pop up here. Yeah. Yeah, we'll, we'll do that. This would be, this would be a good group of films to do for a showdown. Um, yeah, I think you would really, really like In the Name of the Father. Um, the Remains of the Day is a movie. Of, it's Mike Nichols. I, I need to see that that movie. 
directed by James Ivory. Yeah, James Ivory was also up. Um, I don't know. I guess. Fuck. This is like, I guess I'd take out the piano. I guess that's hard though. And maybe leave Jane Campion in the director uh, category. Because Jurassic Park, I just, it's, come on. It's, it's doing everything you want a movie to do. <laughs> well, and, you know, it would give Spielberg two films in Best Picture, which is hilarious. Which would be really cool. Yeah. I, I, I don't know if I'd have any performances take any of these spots, though. Um, supporting, maybe, maybe. Attenborough over, I don't know. I mean, I this group is insane. Tommy Lee Jones, Leonardo DiCaprio, Ray Fiennes, John Malkovich, and Pete Postlewhite. Come on. Like, that's a crazy group. <laughs> that's tough for Goldblum to get into. <laughs> I, Goldblum's good in Jurassic Park, but if he was ever going to be nominated, it's for The Fly. The Fly, yeah. Best actor, yeah. Yeah. So, sorry. Sorry, Jeff. Yeah, sorry, Jeffy. You're great, but not not Oscar great, I don't think. This is, it, yeah, this is tough. We've we've talked about this year when we did what's eating Gilbert Grape. Mm-hmm. I think that's it. Yeah, I think yeah, that's all we because that was our supporting actor talk. Yeah, we haven't gotten to go back here yet. Yeah, I would love to. I mean, the firm. I love Holly Hunter was up for that. I fucking love the firm. I just bought uh, that too. Yeah, it's. It, I know it's not you know, the best Tom Cruise stuff, but it's one of my favorite Tom Cruise roles. Um, Philadelphia is tough, but good. Yeah. We've, we've talked about, we talked about Sleepless in Seattle on the, uh, uh, when Harry Met Sally episode, we did like a Nora Ephron week. Yeah. I remember that. That was fun. Yeah, that was good. Um, I know you're not a big age of innocence fan. Yeah. I watched that when we did our, um, taxi driver, I marathon Scorsese's work. Oh, that's right. That's right. Yeah. That was a, my mom loves, like period films that take place in like 1800s England or something. She left. <laughs> wow. She was like, this is boring. I don't want to watch this anymore. And I'm like, I don't blame you. I'm stuck. See you later. Damn. Yeah. <laughs> I fun with your day. I'm not. <laughs> uh, yeah. No, this, this is an interesting year. Kind of a lot of dark stuff, which is why it'd be cool if, you know, Jurassic Park was in some more categories just to lighten it up. God damn. I'm, I think absolutely I give it a nomination for score. Maybe a win. Uh, yeah. Oh, I love the firm, but come on, like, come on, the firm score versus Jurassic Park. Get get out of town. <laughs> I don't even. Yeah, I I don't remember the Age of Innocence score. I checked out of that movie early. Uh, <laughs> the firm and the remains of the day. I still have to see, and the fugitive score. I recall being pretty cool. Yeah, like, I think Jurassic that's. I think, uh, who is that? Someone awesome did that score. Yeah, James Newton Howard. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, this, this, this is a good year. I'd love to come back and, you know, properly go over some of these films. Uh, sounds like when we do it, it'll be Schindler's List for our Best Picture Showdown. It sounds like that'll, that'll knock out the most movies. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, for sure. That'll, that's going to be a downer. <laughs> it, it really is. That's why we just kind of, you know, we'll, we'll bite our time. We, we have so many showdowns to do. We can, we can wait for it's gonna, for It's going to feel bit. a lot like our 12 Years of Slave episode. <laughs> Yeah, which is why it's good to have those showdowns because then you get to kind of talk about some of their movies, get a little bit of breathing room for a minute. Uh, that is, that's true. That is always nice. Uh, but yeah, yeah, this 1993, sol- solid year. They probably didn't get everything right like every year, but that's all right. You know, they, they tried. They got, they got some stuff right, including Jurassic Park winning three Oscars. That's great. 
yeah. uh, we, we get to talk about here on this show. So this is a blast. Uh, this is just one of the most fun, you know, movies to talk about. So thank you, Connor, for joining me uh, for this, for this episode. Of course. Of course. Uh, next week I'm getting, I'm getting married uh, in about a week. So <laughs> I will not be on next week's episode, which is covering Toy Story 2, uh, 1998 or 1999, sorry, yeah, 1999, and the 72nd Academy Awards, I believe. So uh, that'll be Connor and Caleb kind of taking over that episode. I'm sure they have something cool planned. Uh, we've done 99 recently, but the reason we're doing Toy Story 2 is because Lightyear comes out. So we want to kind of, you know, spotlight Buzz, and I think Buzz is amazing in Toy Story 2. I think it's... <clears throat> Tim Allen is just fucking <laughs> out of this world in that movie. So I think it'll be fun to kind of do that. You have the Zerg stuff in that one, that movie. So I think it's a good kind of like callback to, to Lightyear. We've already, we've also already done Toy Story. So uh, we're going to slowly move through the Toy Story franchise yeah. on Oscar Sunday. Um, so that'll, that'll be cool. I love that all four have nominations. It's one of the few like full franchises we can do here. And, and Lightyear will probably be up for best animated film. So we <laughs> can do that uh, as well in the future. So yeah, we'll be able to do five technical Toy Story franchise type movies. And that, that's, that's great stuff. Um, I'm excited. I'll probably see Lightyear at some point uh, next weekend. Uh, like I said, I'm getting married, so I'll have to kind of figure out. I'll probably do it after all that, you know, maybe on, maybe on Sunday or Monday because um, I'm getting married next Saturday. So I'm excited, man. You'll be there. Uh, you're, you're one of my groomsmen, so I'm, I'm ready for that to happen. It's the exciting time, but I feel like I should uh, step, down from, <laughs> step down from podcasting because we usually record on uh, you know, Thursday or Friday or Saturday, and we kind of have stuff going on that I, I kind of have to be at. <laughs> yeah, you can't just say, like, I got to leave the rehearsal early. I got a podcast. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> uh, so, which you also have to be at the rehearsal. So I'm wondering how you're going to do that. Maybe you'll have to do it on Thursday. Night. Oh, yeah. We've already worked it out. We're going to do it Thursday. We're all, we're all set. Perfect. That'll be great. I'm excited to hear you guys. Last time y'all did one together, I think was the Oscar prediction type episode on episode 95. And then before that y'all did sky, uh, skyfall y'all yeah. did on, on here. So and we and were Kay- way the fuck off on those Oscar predictions. Let's let me say that. Yeah. We'll, we'll leave that. We'll leave that in the past. It's fine. Uh, it's, it's great to have Caleb on the show. I wish he could be on it more often, but he also has, you know, beyond the bad always going. And next weekend you guys are going to be doing Joe dirt on friday which yeah. i fucking i fucking love joe dirt i've had it on my shelf for years and years uh it's it's one of those stupid comedies that i just i just can't get enough of uh but on wednesday here we go this is a big deal <laughs> uh episode 193 we're getting close to that 200 we're going to be doing something real cool for that but a personal favorite of yours connor and i'll let you speak a little bit about why you why you love it so much the count of monte cristo is going to be happening on Wednesday. Why, why, why do you love this movie so much? Oh, dude, I don't, I don't know. It's, it's revenge. It's love. It's danger. It's like, it's amazing. It's everything. It's the French revolution. It's oh, not the French revolution. Well, kind of. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but I'd love also just like best friends betraying one another, like to have your best friend be the one to put you in prison because he's in love with your girl. That's a great story. And then for like, for him to just, you know, learn how the world works and learn how to fight and read and write and become a count to destroy this guy's entire existence. How do you not fucking adore that story? It's a swashbuckling adventure. Guy Pierce in his most 
evil fucking role ever. Uh, yeah, this has been a firm favorite of mine since I was a kid, and I can't really tell you why. It's just it's it's a movie that resonated with me and never left. <laughs> I love that. I remember doing um, doing one of those top tens, and you ha- you talked about this movie uh, like way back on Film Guys, and we did top ten you know decade stuff all the time. And you talked about this, and I was like, what? <laughs> I was blown away. This is like completely out of left field, and I love that. I love when you find those movies. You know, certain people have those favorites that they just hold on to. And uh, this is one of yours. So it'd be cool for you to finally go down that road and properly rewatch it and be able to talk about it for a couple hours. So I'm excited for you, man. It's always, I know how it feels. It's a good feeling. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's great. I, I feel like I've gotten to do that a lot lately, like, you know, with the fly and it's, it's going to be fun. Like with the Godfather, like I've had some heavy hitter, like movies I adore. We've got to talk about lately on our shows and here we go again. And then I get to do Joe Dirt, which I also love. So (laughs) (laughs) different kind of love. Yeah. 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 It's, it's been loads of fun, man. These shows are, these shows are great. Um, And real quick before we go, if you're, if you're still with us, thank you. But I felt like it'd be cool to just do this on air real quick before we go. Uh, I've been doing this project where I'm taking data from all of our best picture showdowns. Right. So what I figured out is we've done 15 of them. 15 total. Uh, that's about, because usually there's five in every category, but we've also done some recent ones. We did 2013, 2016, and 2020. So those all have, you know, eight, a couple of them have, you know, two of them have nine and one of them has eight. So, you know, we've done 80 some odd movies, right. Uh, for, for this show on those best picture showdowns. And so what I did was I organized them by, by year, by year, by, the first, the earliest one we've done is 1946, uh, 19th Academy Awards, Best Years of Our Lives, uh, It's a Wonderful Life, The Razor's Edge, The Yearling, and uh, Henry V. And what I did was I'm trying to figure out what of these is actually my favorite. So I'm putting down, I'm putting down my rating next to each movie, like how we rank them, basically. And I'm also putting a one through 10. So like Best Years of Our Lives has a nine for me. It's a Wonderful Life is an eight. Razor's Edge, six yearling five henry the fifth five so it has an average of 6.6 6. Hmm. uh that is the lowest of any of the best picture showdowns we've done can you guess what the highest is um 1948 well that, that wasn't was that a showdown that, that wasn't technically a showdown it wasn't a showdown god damn it we kind of did when we did church of the sierra madre we kind of went back it just, i guess that one just feels so much like a show because it was kind of the same Wait, that what? would that would probably be close though. Wasn't that our first showdown? Oh no, no that was first... the awards. That was the awards. Yes. All right. It was when we started the awards, which shame on us that that was the first movie we did. <laughs> we did awards. I, yeah. Hmm. Okay. Um hmm. I'm leaning towards Silence of the Lambs. No. Hmm. This th- this year is 2007. Okay, that's my second. That has a 9.0 overall. This one has a higher rating than 9.0 overall for for all five movies. Okay, so it's a fiver. Uh, yes, it is a fiver. 99. No, mm. that one was actually kind of low because. Um, oh yeah, you don't. Yeah. Satterhouse rules sucks. <laughs> no way in hell it's in the 80s. Uh, well, we've only done. 
one, 180s. We've only done one. We did 81. Atlantic City, Raiders of the Lost Ark, Reds, on Gold Pond, Chariots of Fire. Don't yeah. like Chariots of Fire, so that, yeah. That was not a good. 79. Yep, there you go. Our first one. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, Kramer's Kramer is a 10 for me. All that jazz is a 10 for me. Apocalypse Now is a 9. Norma Ray is a 9. And Breaking Away is an 8, which gives it a 9.2 overall. <laughs> nice. So awesome. So that was the first Best Picture Showdown that we did properly, where we did all of the Best Picture nominees and ranked them. And we both were like, let's do that again. <laughs> <laughs> and, and yeah, we just haven't, we haven't fucking stopped. So it's usually around an 8 overall. Like 1992 has an 8.4. A Few Good Men, Unforgiven, Sent to a Woman, Howard's End, and The Crying Game. That's a pretty good group. It's decent. Um, a little bit top heavy there, but, but, I, but I like it. Uh, 99. I like American Beauty a lot. I like Insider. I like Green Mile, and I like Sixth Sense, but I do not like Setter House Rules. So that that dropped it. Uh, but man, this has been fun, you know. Just fucking 2007 is yeah, 10, 10, 9, 8, 8. Uh, I love that ceremony. There will be blood. No country. Michael Clayton, Juno, and Atonement. I, I really like that group. I think that's when Atonement's your weak link. You've done something right. That's cool. Yeah, it really puts in perspective how much work we put into these shows. Yeah. Well, yeah, when I, I was telling you, I was texting you, I was like, I've like literally laid it all out. I'm like, this is fucking neat. Like we've, we've rewatched and watched for the first time all of these movies for this show every fifth episode. And it's not going to stop, you know, um, just going to keep adding them. You know? So I'm going to keep this forever and just kind of keep this data of what is really now when people ask me, what's a good Oscar year? It's like, well, I can, I can show you. Yeah, we know we've done the work. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> I like that. Yeah, it's 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 fun. Uh, those early years are a bit rough, you know. Um, yeah. 1953, from here to eternity, I gave a nine. I love that movie. Roman Holiday, an eight, kind of a soft eight. Shane, I gave a seven. Thought there were some cool scenes, but it's fine. Julius Caesar six and the robe five. I did not like the robe at all. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of my least favorite movies we've ever covered on this show. Um, Along with, I think Fanny is my least, my like lowest rated one. I love that that has become like, we just keep bringing it back as like, fuck that movie. Like it just gets in our head and we're just like, ugh. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it sucks for the other movies because that year, 1961, I have Nuremberg, nine, The Hustler, nine, Guns of Never Own, eight, West Side Story, six, eh, and Fanny, four. So like it, it, it hurts the other, the other movies. Really does. <laughs> Oh, oh, that four drops that score, man. <laughs> yeah, no, it's been fun, man. So I've just been, I've been doing that the past few days, just kind of collecting random shit that I, that I, you know, just random data that I want to keep, you know, I'll have in my Google docs for as long as we do this shit. So, which could be a long, long time. <laughs> Hopefully. Yeah. I don't, I got, I got nothing else to do. <laughs> I'm having fun, man. I'm having a lot of fun. Just kind of figuring out my, my own movie mind. Yeah, this is therapeutic and exciting and part of a, you know, ongoing journey. I'm, I have not yet gotten to Mount Doom to drop in the ring yet, so I'm still on No, there. no. Uh, yeah, yeah. It's barely out of Brie. Like, I just yeah. started. Yeah. yeah. The Shire? Come on. I'm just, I'm just, you know, I love when Sam says, if I take one more step, it'll be the furthest I've ever been. Like, that's how I feel. <laughs> Some dude edited together, like, he put that scene in the move, in each movie, every time Sam takes another step, genius. He turned the Lord of the Rings into like a twenty-five hour thing. 
It'll be the furthest I've ever been. Step. Furthest I've ever been. Step. Yeah. Uh, that would be so annoying. It really would. It'd make, it'd make me want to punch Sean Aston in the face. <laughs> God, just shut this guy up. Uh, good shit, man. Oh, well. Another another great episode in the books. Had a lot of fun. Uh, again, Count of Monte Cristo on Wednesday. Joe Dirt on Friday. And next Sunday, Toy Story 2 with Connor and Caleb. It's going to be a blast this week. Buckle up, as usual. And uh, follow us on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. Always at Filmgasm. Look up our, our stuff on our website, filmgasm.com. I uh, got reviews up nearly every single day. We're just trying to, you know, watch as many movies as we can. You know, we're just a group of guys that can't stop. So stick with us and we'll stay with you. And we'll see you on Wednesday.